On today's episode of Sit Down with Sky and Preston, what is a cultural saint and how can you avoid being one? Why is kindness better than niceness? Plus, if we have time, we will end with a short Q&A. All that and more on today's episode of Sit Down with Sky and Preston. Now what? <laughs> that is the question. That's how I'm going to start the episode. Really? Yeah. Oh, no. Because I always struggle to know how to start it. So, well, there you go. There's now your icebreaker. There it is. Now what? Welcome back, everyone. Yep. Hello. <laughs> welcome back to my house, Preston. You're welcome. To my closet. Thank you. Basically, is what this is. Essentially, room, storage room. How have you been doing? <laughs> What's new with you? <laughs> Great. I know how to podcast. I've done this before. <laughs> <laughs> great how are you i'm great remy is not sleeping very well right I'm now sorry. so we're lacking in the sleep department a little bit but we're doing okay is that why your eyes twitching yeah i'm just no <laughs> no that's the drugs oh <laughs> <laughs> um she's yeah she's like she's going through what's called sleep regression where she is kind of re- having to relearn how to sleep that's unfortunate i guess every baby goes through that or some version of it and she does fine if you're holding her, but that's not like the safest. So we are trying mm-hmm. to get her to sleep in her bassinet more, but it's um, it's tricky. But she's very cute. So yes, she is. I can witness. This is true. <laughs> Thank you. Mm-hmm. I feel like you're my missionary companion. Yep. Backing up what I'm saying. Remy is cute. She is verified. Let's just have a podcast about Remy today. <laughs> <laughs> so. I I had a we both kind of had a lot to say in our planning session, so we're starting later than we usually do, just because this is a very dense topic, mm-hmm. and we both had a lot to say about it. Yep, uh, we uh, we've experienced a lot of uh, real life situations regarding these topics, so we had a lot to say. Mm-hmm. A lot of thought and effort has gone into this one. So yeah, and and I will say. Um, the term that we're using today, cultural members, I don't know. I haven't seen it anywhere else. I'm I'm not saying I'm coining the term. It's just like what made sense to describe this kind of phenomenon mm-hmm. that we see quite a bit. So, so um, then what is a cultural member? What a great question, Preston. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> Did me... I read my line right? Yeah. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> it was a little late on delivery. Oh, but sorry. Sorry. It's okay. Um, yeah. So what is a cultural member? So what we are explaining or describing when we're using this term cultural mem- cultural member are those who members of the church who um, kind of use their membership in the church as more of kind of a status symbol, more ornamental. They don't necessarily use the tenets of the gospel as like their core um, driving philosophy in life or moral compass or moral compass. Mm-hmm. It's more again just kind of a status thing and. Another, or an inheritance thing. Maybe it's some like they're multi-generational or. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like we're all in the stage of developing a relationship with Christ and developing a testimony. And this isn't to like bash on those who are struggling with their faith. It's more those who have an unwillingness to find truth. And it's more of like a rebellious thing. Mm-hmm. Something I've noticed is a lot of a lot of times I'll see they kind of take pride in their inability to accept core doctrines, especially those in like the family proclamation. Mm-hmm. And they'll act like it's some great virtue that they struggle with this truth. Yeah. 
And that's usually how it's delivered. This one's really hard for me. <laughs> Again, w- w- the motive and intent being that they have no intention of being okay with it and learning more about it. And there's a difference. And yeah. I recognize that. I'm not talking about people who just don't know yet. I'm talking about people who... A more of a willful thing. Mm-hmm. Or lazy. Yeah. 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 So, um, I guess it, I guess it's just this, this episode is... Did I just have a stroke? I think I did. <laughs> this episode is a little bit of um, just like a call, like a call, like a warning kind of warning call or like a warning shot. I don't know. What's something like that? Just like a call to arms, call to rec- <laughs> recognize this in the church with within members and the um something that an, another i guess term that we came up with was what they will often subscribe to what version of the gospel they'll subscribe to and we use this term the gospel of niceness mm-hmm. um to start off here let's let's explain some terms so what is like the difference between niceness and kindness what is the gospel of niceness mm-hmm. Unfortunately, there seems to be an unwillingness to stand for truth or be a witness rather than say something that we know might be a little controversial or rather than take a stand of things that we believe to be true. We kind of shy away and we, we rather be nice than, than cause a scene mm-hmm. or cause a conversation. Um, we'll just play nice and move on, <clears throat> which is just interesting because Nowhere in the gospel does it teach niceness as a principle. Like that's not a Christ-like attribute. That's not it, kindness is, but kindness is different. Kindness is rooted in seeking truth um, and elevating ourselves and each other. Um, for example, like it's not kind to allow somebody to believe something that you know isn't true mm-hmm. um, to allow them to live in some sort of lesser state because um, you know something that's true, but they don't know. And again, you can't make people do things or make people know things, but it's not kind to indulge. It's not kind to perpetuate false things. Um, And it can be something as simple as like teaching children how the world works, or it can be something a little bit higher stakes like gospel principles and taking a stand on what we know to be of God. Mm-hmm. We were talking um, with both of our wives before this and your wife, Taryn, mentioned how she has felt in church. And I have felt this way before, too, where she has felt um, like, I guess, scared or worried, didn't feel like she could bring up a very basic fundamental doctrine in church because it it, like it wouldn't be met with Mm -hmm. she um, she knew it wouldn't land well with the group yeah because it's not popular in pop culture um which is like really sad to me because church should be the place where truth prevails and like we can have these discussions and Mm -hmm. and we shouldn't um like there can always be discussion, there can always be disagreements in church, but it when we get to a place where we are afraid of speaking truth in church, again, things that are very fundamental to the gospel, um, I think that's a really dangerous place to be. Mm-hmm. And again, out of a 
desire to be nice and avoid conflict or again conversation with disagreement um we we just say silly fluffy things and move on and it's not actually kind to right. do that to people it just reminds me too like i remember when i first really started paying attention to the difference between niceness and kindness um i not speaking to the morality of this musical but i loved the musical into the woods there's a song where they're all accusing each other um blaming each other for the events that have unfolded all these characters and they're finally interrupted by the witch and she she says you're so nice you're not good you're not bad you're just nice and i i like that phrase stood out to me where i'm like Ooh, why is that such an accusation? Mm. Like you're so nice, um, and I realized like this behavior I'd witnessed before, like at church or at work or at school. I, like I, I've just I've witnessed that behavior where somebody's trying to be nice and they end up not being good or bad. They're just somewhere nastily lukewarm in the middle, mm-hmm. and you're like, Ugh, stand for something at least. But <laughs> you're all just so nice. Yeah, that's interesting because like nice is is typically a compliment not like an accusation so that's a kind of an interesting yeah it just kind of like alerted me so then like i spent a lot of time like studying okay what if nice isn't the goal what is the goal like okay we know kindness is a christ-like attribute so i was like what is kindness and why is it superior to niceness Mm -hmm. um and yeah it was fascinating again kindness is rooted in seeking truth yeah that's an important distinction because when we are when we fall into this trap of just seeking niceness for the sake of not ruffling feathers or mm-hmm. just not wanting to take it's not wanting to take a stand just kind of being apathetic about very like important eternal truths um it leaves room in the church for very radical ideas to seep in um at like because we don't want to, again, we, we don't want to upset anyone. So if someone is going to bring in like very radical ideas from worldly philosophies, instead of t- like taking a stand and saying, no, that's not correct. We just kind of like sh- shuffle it in the door <laughs> and, and f- find it a place to, s- to sit because we don't, again, we don't want to upset anyone. A, a good example would be um, a, a good and like a very poignant example is with transgenderism mm-hmm. and how I guess there's kind of this the, the this shift happening in the church where with, with members especially where I've seen a lot of examples of active members of the church who embrace um, embrace like a worldly view of transgenderism in order again to not upset anyone because it's because this is a very delicate topic like we hear all of these scary t- statistics about um transgen- transgender individuals and how their suicide rate is so high like these are these are very delicate topics and so we i think a lot of members are stunned or like paralyzed into looking into it further than just taking at their word kind of the more activist types Mm -hmm. and taking their prescribed path forward and again like kindness isn't indulging delusion um and yet you see that time and time again um 
it's not kind to say, you know what, you're right. Let's change everything around you to accommodate something that's not true. Um, and it, it just leads to more heartache and more ripples um, as opposed to just having simpler, harder conversations. I mean, if it even gets to that point again, like well, this is all hypothetical, but well, that's what I was going to say is kind of like even more dangerous. It just impedes our ability to have these conversations mm-hmm. because what you just said is very controversial and like would ruffle a lot of feathers, especially even within the church. Um, but impeding our ability to have these discussions just because there's one prevailing narrative of what is best in this case, what is best for transgender individuals. If we demonize one side of it based on just a worldview and lift up like one prescribed path and demonize the other, that just prevents this discussion happening Mm -hmm. where we can actually come to like good conclusions about what really is right and Mm -hmm. good for these people. Well, and again, it's just interesting, like the parallels to being gay, (laughs) like, People think we have a one set prescribed path, um, which you and I know, like, that's not true. There's all kinds of paths you can take in life. And there's one right path, a covenant path, uh, if you want to obtain exaltation. But, like, it, it, again, it's that principle of not limiting the narrative, limiting people's choices, rather teaching them the truth fully so that they can make better, more informed decisions healthier decisions Mm. that's kindness is giving them the full picture and not and again indulging a delusion because we don't do that in any other situation with any other illness we don't engage in the delusion like that's not healthy that's not right in the same way too like my mom and i have talked about this so many times so many times she's called me and been like why is homosexuality like the one sin we celebrate she was like we don't celebrate any other sin like she was like why is this the one like sin that is socially celebrated she's like i don't i don't get it but and across the board of course like people that party and drink will celebrate that together but people outside of those circles don't celebrate it Mm -hmm. but yet homosexuality seems to be like one topic that is universally celebrated in all it's weaseled its way into every circle where you'll find somebody that celebrates it. And she's like, this is a like, fundamental basic sin. Like, why? And like within church settings, too. Yeah. It's, yeah. <clears throat> That's the more relevant to like what we've been talking about. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, what's interesting is I, I noticed this trend in like orthodox circles of the church and on unorthodox circles of the church. It just presents a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. This, this phenomenon of valuing niceness over truth or over kindness which is different like we've discussed um in like less orthodox circles of the church um this this would be like what we've kind of been discussing just um just saying like yes queen live your truth (laughs) um (laughs) i'm so bad at my gay voice is so bad (laughs) my stereotypically Gay voice. I'm not very good at. <laughs> I, uh, I'm not going to practice. <laughs> I fear it would be too I, I effective. Laugh every yes, time you do queen. <laughs> yeah. But but like just embracing this more like moral relativity and mm-hmm. being enablers again, not wanting to ruffle feathers. That's that's what you see on um, 
Yeah, the the, the less, less orthodox, orthodox yeah. circles, and I've I've witnessed, I've seen, I've come across members of the church who are like very prominent, and again going back to like transgender issues, um, advocating for children to transition and like to to treat children, very young children who present some inkling, like some inkling that they like things that stereotypically the other gender typically likes and just kind of taking that child at their word and treating them as the opposite sex. Like I've seen that play out under this guise of wanting to be nice. And it's, that's not kind. Like that's not setting that child up for success because a a child doesn't understand the complexity of, of what they are what they're claiming, like with their, with their identity. Um, in more orthodox circles, it looks more like, I guess, I guess it's fairly similar, but it's more like still believing in doctrines that are less palatable in society, but just shying away from, again, like advocating for them. Mm-hmm. Because I, I've heard that one a lot too. Yeah. It's like, I, I don't believe that, but they can do whatever they want. It's like, they yeah. won't make any commentary no stance yeah it's like okay again that's just like fluff Mm -hmm. well it doesn't do anything for anybody because again of course we're highlighting kindness as a christ-like attribute but there are other christ-like attributes that would put it in its proper place and balance it out like persuasive christ was persuasive he didn't Mm -hmm. just leave people with their worldviews like he tried to persuade them to believe in God and his gospel and the plan of salvation. And likewise, we should be doing that too. And not just like, it's what I believe, but you can do whatever you want. (laughs) It's like, ah, that can't be it. There's got to be more than just that. Yeah. And like we can allow agency while also standing up for something and saying like, no, this is, this is what I believe. And this is, and this is what we're taught. Yeah, from Christ and yep. A f- just a few like scriptural references to this type of sainthood or whatever you want to call it. Um, Revelation three sixteen. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spew thee out of my mouth. That one's brought up a lot, just as an example of <clears throat> those who again are just lukewarm and wishy washy. Like don't don't take a stance one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, Similar to trying to serve two masters. Mm-hmm. Like you you eventually get to the point where you, you can't. You have to make a decision right. one way or the other. Right. Um, Second Nephi 28, 21 and others, um, he will pacify and lull them away into carnal security that they will say, all is well in Zion, yea, Zion prospereth and all is well. And thus the devil cheateth their souls and leadeth them away carefully down to hell. Um, kind of a similar idea, just saying all is well, like mm-hmm. everything's fine. That's yeah. O- that's okay. That's a phrase I hear a lot. That's okay. Mm-hmm. I'm like, no, it's not <laughs> <laughs> like acknowledge either willfully ignoring how bad things are getting or not being aware of it. I think mm-hmm. it could be either. Yep. And then, um, DNC 39, nine, nevertheless, thou hast seen great sorrow for thou hast rejected me many times because of pride and the cares of the world. 
Um, so just letting cares of the world be more important than taking a stance. That would mm-hmm. be like accepting the the whims of uh, worldly philosophies because it's a lot more palatable and mm-hmm. a lot more popular. popular. Oh, and jinx. Wow. <laughs> All right. I, I got one too for you. This one's First Peter 3, starting in verse 13. He says, and who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? But, and if ye suffer for righteousness sake, happy are ye and be not afraid of their terror and neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a, a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that whereas they speak of evil of you, even uh, as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better, if the will of God be so, that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. Mm. If you're going to suffer in this life, like it, that last verse, if it's God's will that you suffer in this life, it's better to suffer because you stood up for what's right and you did what was good rather than caving yeah. to what's popular and what's not good. Yeah. That one's a hard for, well, a hard one for me to remember that like there can be because in my brain a lot of times I, I get to the point where if somebody else especially if it's someone I respect if they have a problem with what I say or if they disagree with it in a like a really fundamental way I feel like I did something wrong <laughs> oh we're we're opposite in that <laughs> you can ask my mom and Taryn <laughs> who've dealt with me the most of like um, yeah, I don't have that problem. <laughs> Oops. That's but, a, but but that's an important distinction to make that like, yeah, regardless of like how you feel about it, we still need to take a stand for what's right. Me, I need to keep myself in check. And for you, it might be keeping your fears of what other people think in check. But either way, our responsibility, I, I don't know if we've mentioned her on this podcast before, but Brene Brown, I love her stuff. She's written a few books has done a ton of talk show stuff and did a TED talk and great. Like her big focus is shame and guilt and talking about like the psychology of shame. And one of the things she said, debunking this idea that when you stand for something and hold somebody accountable, that's not shaming them. I'm like, we're not out to like shame people and get after them for things that God has declared it sinful. Like that's not the point. Like our point our, our purpose is to hold them accountable. We're responsible for being holding people accountable or to translate to what we're talking about. Our responsibility is to be a witness. But then what she said was, we're not responsible for their emotional response. Um, if you are trying to hold somebody responsible or declare simple truth and they react strongly, that's not on you. Like you weren't trying to ruffle feathers. Like that wasn't my intention to hurt people. Um, I was just trying to share something that was true. I'm not responsible then for how strongly they react or if they ignore me or whatever. It's like that. then it's up to them. But they can't make that choice if you don't take a stand. So mm-hmm. like that's why uh, it's so vital that we take a stand on these things. Again, it doesn't have to be in grandiose ways. It can be something simple, but... People can't make choices if we don't give them the opportunity to make a choice for something better. Yeah. I, I think back to my like upbringing, and I think this is a, a fairly common story. I rarely, like growing up, we, we rarely had opportunities to 
have some sort of disagreement with like a sibling or something because contention or any sort of argumentation was seen as inherently evil. I think I brought this up before Mm -hmm. where I just like I never had the solid opportunity to learn how to agree respectfully. And so that's why today, like I am so bad at it. And so when I am confronted with that, I again retreat to, wow, I'm such a horrible person because this person disagrees with me and their reaction is so visceral. That must mean that what I'm saying is so wrong, Mm. but that's not the case. Like we can say something true. Someone can have a very emotive response, a very negative response but that doesn't mean that what we said is wrong. Yeah. Um, and if you need examples, um, the life of Jesus Christ yeah. being one where he said things that upset a lot of people on a lot of different occasions mm-hmm. or just pick a prophet, any prophet. Yeah. Um, there, there were lots of times when prophet said something and people did not like it. And again, they weren't trying to hurt anybody. They, They were trying to be kind and help people come back to Jesus Christ, come back to the truth. Because, again, it's truth. Truth is what is kind. Like the pursuit of truth Mm -hmm. is we talked about this last week. Yeah. I mean, the truth will say or I know we've talked about it before. Maybe it wasn't last week, but just the truth will set you free. We've talked about that idea before. One one podcast I want to point people to is it was was, the podcast was called Modern Wisdom. Um, It's not a church podcast. It was. Modern Wisdom, and it was um, an episode with Jordan Peterson. I believe the episode was called Your Your Life is Meant for More. Um, it was fairly recent within the last month or so. But they talked a lot about this idea of how like, the ultimate expression of love is the pursuit of truth and helping others recognize truth that you have come to know or the reverse of that, like... Mm-hmm understanding truth that somebody else has come to know that sort of coming together and exploring and finding truth together. That's like, that's one of the the biggest expressions of love. And it was a really good episode. So I recommend that. So then a subset to this topic that we wanted to kind of dig in and highlight was how do we balance then standing for the gospel of Jesus Christ, advocating for truth and balancing criticisms that people have of of our religion of the church of of history of doctrine whatever it may be like how do we balance approaching dissent from religion with religion mm-hmm. um and and it's very related to like what we've talked about how do we be kind and advocate for truth um in that environment where there's lots of criticism and about any topic all kinds of topics yeah it's a, it's a tricky thing. And it got me thinking about why criticism is so hard, especially within the context of religion. Mm-hmm. Um, there A little bit of, is what I was just explaining, like with my upbringing. But if you, th- if you think about the, I guess, the stakes of gospel truths, the stakes are so high. Like the mm-hmm. consequences of incorrect truth or like incorrect information that's a that's a really high stake and so when when that is challenged um it can be easier like it can be the tendency to want to just retreat and not want to address it head on and just kind of brush it under the rug Mm -hmm. because it's that can be scary like that fear of the unknown or having to put some your core beliefs under the spotlight and really 
dissect them. Mm-hmm. It's in, I mean, Sherry Dew wrote a book that's really good and it was a devotional address before the book, but she talked about engaging in the wrestle. Like you, you can't run from these things. You have to engage in the wrestle on some of these topics and um, not running from truth because it might be uncomfy or it might be prickly or it might more often than not require you to change something about yourself. Um, you have to engage. Mm-hmm. You can't run. That that term cognitive dissonance is thrown around a lot um, as as kind of like a a way to discredit what somebody someone is saying. Um, a lot of times I'll see that where if someone makes an argument that the other person can uh, perceives as inconsistent, they'll just throw that word out or that phrase out there. You are just dealing with cognitive dissonance. For those of you who may not be familiar, I had to like do a little research. It's and he had to explain it to me because <laughs> I didn't know what it meant. Either. No shame in that. Essentially, it's how, how I understand it. It's the like the negative emotions associated with confronting something that challenges your worldview, like boiled down, and that is hard to deal with. That is something that um, again comes with a lot of fear. Mm-hmm. But and the, a lot of emotions, not just fear, but yeah. yeah, it can get messy. There are some ways that we can, like some practical applications of how we can b- balance who we engage with and like understand their motives in, in order to pursue truth effectively. Mm-hmm. There was this um, TikTok I came across that was really a really good ex- explanation. What's funny is we saw this separately before yeah. we planned and we were like, Oh yeah, I saw that too. The account is uh, scripture plus. Um, I've engaged with, um, with them a little bit and really great, really great people. The, the girl that runs it, I believe uh, Jasmine, I can't remember the full name, but um, she's really great. And she is really good at explaining things from a gospel perspective in a really clear, simple, but also like intellectual way. Mm-hmm. So she, there's this video um, where she talked about there. She gave like three practical um, application, three practical pieces of advice <laughs> of how we can um, confront or like how we can en- engage and confront skepticism with our religion. Mm-hmm. So just boiled down, I, um, I'll try and link it, um, link the video, but boiled down, it's you, you should understand the individual's um, claim or like you should understand them at more of a deep level where she called it a meta level. Mm-hmm. Like what are their intentions? How did they come by this information? Yeah. Yeah. We, because sh- knowing that is imperative to knowing how whether, they interpret the data. Yeah. Yeah. Like I mean, whether or not we can trust it and yeah. um where they came to that this information that that kind of leads us to the next one. Check assumptions and get more context. So they may make a claim. Um and in their claim there's a lot of assumptions that they're jumping to. The example that she brought up was horses in the Book of Mormon, how they're talked about in the Book of Mormon, and the claim is that um, horses no didn't exist ar- back yeah, then. There's no, no archaeological ar- evidence of horses in America at right. that time. Therefore, the Book of Mormon is not true. Exactly. So her point was that, like, what assumptions are being made in that? Well, what assumptions about archaeology and how that works or 
um, like how the word horses is used in the Book of Mormon. Are we referring to the same thing? Like ask all of these questions rather than just accepting it at face value. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, check the sources. Where did they come to this information? Was it just kind of a one-off quote from some obscure person in history? Mm-hmm. Or was it firsthand or secondhand mm-hmm. or seventh-hand? Or seventh-hand. Are That's there... What? <laughs> if that's even a thing, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, technically. My dad said that his uncle said that his boss said that Joseph Smith. <laughs> Complete side tangent. I just recalled this random fact how I think seven is the number of the average number of mutuals between people on Facebook. So you can like I get heard from that, yeah. one person to the other, whoever they are, with seven mutual friends like Mm -hmm. jumping i've heard of that yeah (laughs) interesting sidebar (laughs) it's interesting though when you are usually confronted by an individual that is dissenting or doubting or heckling you or whatever it may be i I think i've said this before and i will go to my grave saying this that dissenters divulge more about themselves than the dogma they decry that sounds kind of fancy and wordy but It's just they always tell you more about themselves than they tell you about the topic. That's why her like her second piece of advice I loved so much is like, what assumptions are they making? And her first piece of advice is like, what are their intentions? Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, quick example. I was new to my job. This was uh, like a year plus ago. And I'm new to my job. I meet this person at work. He knows he like within two minutes, he finds out that I'm a member and goes off on a 30 minute rant about Joseph Smith And, like, his assumption, his claim um, was that marriage is all about sex. Joseph Smith had 26 wives. Therefore, Joseph Smith was, like, a sex-hungry pervert. And I just sat there going, I have learned nothing new about Joseph Smith. Like, I've already heard these claims. I've heard these arguments. Um, Like, I've learned nothing new about Joseph Smith, but I just learned a lot about this individual I've learned a lot about how he views the world, how he views marriage, um, and possibly some of the reasons why he's divorced. It's just like, (laughs) I just learned a lot about this person and how he views the world around him and how sad. Um, And it's just interesting. Again, like often people are shielding or smoke screening their own character deficiencies when they are screaming and crying and, Um, making a big deal out of some historical fact or some sort of discrepancy they found in something or, or when they're trying to tear down the character of somebody else. Yeah, that that's fairly common. Uh, And it's really uh, like, it's, it's not only is it easy to do, but it's nearly impossible not to do to look at historical figures and paint their story on today's moral canvas. Mm -hmm. Like, we we have a we, we like to th- we'd like to think if we lived in the time of slavery that we would have the morals we have today and we wouldn't be slave owners. Mm-hmm. But we don't know that. Like yeah. we don't know being surrounded by um having having slavery be so common in in our culture growing up with that. We'd like to think that we could rise above that, mm-hmm. but we don't know that. Yeah. And it's so interesting. I went to a fireside presentation with Taryn and uh, one of my brothers and it was two historians 
um, talking about projects that they've done for the church, commissioned by the church. And it was so interesting getting their advice on how to sift through evidence and data. Um, And one of the pieces of advice that they gave that I loved that really stuck with me was they said that when you're studying the past, you are the foreigner. Um, I I mean, for anybody that's traveled internationally, you'll understand this phenomenon that when you go to a different country, there are different cultural norms, there's different idioms, there's different um, gestures. Like, I mean, so much is different just by crossing a border. Um, I mean, I experienced that in Japan. Like, I had to learn a lot of things. There were cultural norms for them that were very foreign to me, very easy to forget, or whatever the case may be. And so, like, they made that parallel to when you're studying the past, even if it's your own country's past, you are the foreigner. It is a foreign language, a foreign land. Like, you have to remember that there's going to be things lost in translation as a result, that you just can't translate one-to-one. Like, Mm -hmm things are going to be different and yet too many people want to project now backward and it's like that that doesn't work i liked what you said you said about their um their comment to the question of how you can know if something is legitimate do you remember that um let's see you it was something to the effect of like it's very difficult to come to all of the scrutiny. Yeah. So like one of the questions I asked them, it was like a Q and a for half of it. And so I asked the question, I was just like, Hey, like online, you see a lot of things, you hear a lot of things as a historian, as a professional who like has to get things peer reviewed and public published in um, journals, academic journals. I was like, how do you get to the point as a historian where you can say this happened? We know blank. Um, and they said it, it takes a lot. Like you, there are a lot of false claims online because of social media, where there's no public scrutiny or, or no peer review. There's no scrutiny. There's no double checking from a third party that's uninvolved, which has to happen for academic journals. Um, there, there's none of those like checks and balances, and so you get all kinds of wild claims online. But in academic circles. Um, well, I, I guess let me just put it this way. There's lots of claims online that wouldn't hold up in academic circles because yeah. there is no um, verifiable evidence um, and it just wouldn't stand under scrutiny. Mm-hmm. And so they said, just be aware of that. Like, of course, learn what we know from academic studies. Um, recognize that they are peer reviewed by third parties who are not involved um, in the initial project and take that with much more weight than you do these random things that you find online. Yeah. That, that idea really helps me to, um, I guess, grapple with things that I don't understand about whether it's church history or, um, or doctrine or, or whatever, more, more so church history, I think. Well, somebody asked particularly about polygamy and they said, academically, we don't know much about it. Like there isn't enough, evidence to say a lot about it which is why the church doesn't say a lot about it not because they're being secretive but because by academic standards they don't have as much to say about that topic um yeah it's not because they're being secret it's because they're being scientific um well that's comforting to know that like the church the church holds those standards of academics of like 
need, things needing to go through so much scrutiny in order to make claims about mm-hmm. the history. Uh, again, about why decisions were made, what, what people were doing at certain times. Like there's just, and, and she's, I mean, one of the historians, she was like, we just don't know because we don't have enough information mm-hmm. to say this for sure happened. But again, you're, you're, mother-in-law's aunt is going to post all kinds of things on Facebook and you have no idea if any of it's true because it's just coming out of nowhere. And again, usually they're smoke screening to hide some sort of deficiency on their part. Mm -hmm. That I, I would say that is like one of the big reasons that the gift of discernment is such like a key. Oh yeah. Good point. Thing to, um, like, acquire yeah oh i i pulled that up from the uh, study guide the guide for the scriptures the gift of discernment this is the definition that it gave to understand or know something through the power of the spirit the gift of discernment is one of the gifts of the spirit it includes perceiving the true character of people and the source and meaning of spiritual manifestations um, and elder bednar spoken about this gift as well on several occasions um, he defined it as the ability to discern between truth and error, good and evil. Um, and he said everybody should have that gift. Mm-hmm. Everybody should be actively seeking to have that gift if they don't yet have it. Yeah, that I, I think it's like I don't I don't know if I can make this claim, but one of the most important gifts of the spirit that we can come to um, like acquire, mm-hmm. just because of how difficult. How how muddy the waters are becoming. That that was his claim in his uh, BYU devotional about this topic. Yeah. Okay. So I'm was, not making it. No, like especially <laughs> with all the s- crazy stuff that we see nowadays that, again, just the extremes that we see on either end and the whole bit of stuff in between. He's like, you need this gift to discern between truth and error. Yeah. Every, and God's willing to give it if you actively seek after these kinds of good gifts. Yeah. And it, and it can only help, which is why, like, I've had so many experiences with dissenters or doubters or hecklers. Again, I'm not saying people that are just like wondering or, or actively seeking truth. I'm talking about people who have more malicious intentions or lazy, um, ignorant intentions. It's just interesting because with the gift of discernment, you can perceive character. You can tell what people's motives are um, and what their intentions are for you. And it's just interesting because usually at the root, there's always something they're unwilling to change or do. Um, like when I taught at the MTC, I would always tell my missionaries, if you run into hecklers, don't engage. Like, it, I mean, if they're trying to, uh, again, like get at you, but they're not willing to change, like it's not worth your time. Like that's not the place to teach. Um, but recognize that at the root of their problem, at the root of all this doubt is an unwillingness to believe in Jesus Christ, like a lack of faith an unwillingness to repent. They're probably trying to justify sin and not keep a commandment or a covenant. There's usually a willful disregard for the spirit and his promptings, and they have no desire to endure to the end. It's like, it always comes back to the gospel of Jesus Christ when people have these issues because believers ask the same questions. They wonder the same things. They see the same historical data and whatnot, but they take it with faith, with a willingness to repent. They make and keep covenants and they yield to the Holy Ghost. They want to endure to the end. And it, 
turns out very differently for both approaches. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. I just got really preachy. Sorry, I'm just... I, I, the, that's okay. <laughs> that, okay, because I'm like, ah, this topic. The, it's our podcast. We can be preachy. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's um, let's just kind of end with a couple questions here. This one mm-hmm. is um, kind of related to the topic. Um, this is from at... Hmm, at oh, at book, B-O-M Insights on Twitter. Um, I was like, Bo Mince, <laughs> <laughs> Book of Mormon Insights. Um, as a bishop, what should I tell my youth who think it is compassionate to encourage LGBTQ youth to live their truth? In an ideal world, how would your friends have supported you as a teenager if you were open about your sexuality? Mm. Something we've talked a, b- a little bit about, mm-hmm. but... Um, it's a little bit more pointed to more like pointed yeah youth and maybe a hypothetical of like what helped us yeah or what would have helped i know i know what helped me was i mean it's hard to say because i wasn't open as a teenager mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm gonna kind of be careful about, about this because i'm not i'm not saying um not being open i'm not saying that being closed off about your sexuality is the correct approach because i would actually say the opposite but in my experience, not being open about it allowed me to be taught the gospel in the same way that you would teach anyone else. Mm. And that's kind of what helped me to, again, like not make excuses for myself or not see myself as an exception. Mm-hmm. So I would, I would, I would say maybe um, not, not like flaunting your sexuality as something so core to your identity. Um, I guess that would be more advice for the LGBT individual. (laughs) (laughs) But, but I mean, we've talked about this before that if you really want to help these people, like that can't be the core of your identity. It, It can't, it puts other things out of place when your sexuality becomes core. And so how do you help? How could friends help is don't make that, the center of how you view them. Like that's not what makes them up from their core. Mm -hmm. It's just something else about them because what, I mean, what helped me a lot when the more friends, I mean, I told people slowly, I slowly expanded the circle of people that knew before I just made a mass post on social media. But what helped the most was people, it was just a given that the commandments were a given living. The gospel was a given it, it wasn't there again. There were no exceptions or assumptions that I would make exceptions for myself. There, there weren't assumptions that I would, Oh, you're gay. Therefore you'll go do all the, the gay things. <laughs> um, there wasn't an assumption of misbehavior of sin and that helped. I don't know. <laughs> I've one real quick story. Like it, and it, it's good to be that kind of friend. Like it was very interesting. I, this has only ever really happened once in my life where a friend who was gay came to me in confidence and asked a hard question. He was like, Hey, I found a boy and I really want to date this guy. Like, what do I do? And I was like, well, like, why are you even entertaining this? Like, what, how did you get to this point? And he talked about like how he got to this this point and like the crossroads he was at. And I was like, well, what covenants have you made? Um, Like, and he was an endowed member of the church had served a mission and, it just and and I wasn't trying to be mean. I was just like, well, tell me where you're at. Like, what covenants have you made? Like, how did you get to this decision? 
um, what are p- other people telling you? And he was like, they're all telling me to live my truth and like to like that they'll love me either way. And I was like, what does that have to do with it? I was like, <laughs> of course we're all going to love you either way. Like, what does that have to do with it? I'm like, what's right here though? Should you leave your covenants? Uh, should you break them? Should you damage your relationship that you've begun to develop with God? I was just like, I just asked him a bunch of questions and what shocked me was he said back, he was like, nobody's ever told me this. Like you're the first friend that's told me that this isn't probably not a good idea. And I'm like, what, what, like, (laughs) what do you mean? Like, why would I encourage you to break your covenants? Like you've made promises that you wouldn't do certain things. And why would I encourage that? I don't know. It's just, it, it, that, was such a stark example to me of like, whoa, like I've really got to watch what I say because his response to it all just surprised me. Um, I didn't realize like it would have had that impact and I didn't realize it would be that rare. So to uh, Book of Mormon at Book, what, what's their name? <laughs> at their B- at B-O- B-O-M Insights. To you, <laughs> <laughs> I say stand for truth because you might be their only interaction with truth and again how can they make a decision if you don't expose them to truth yeah which is which is hard which is sad which, like an, an active member of the church approaching friends and family and you being the only one and maybe it's because you are gay and like have that experience and feel like you have like you can speak confidently about these things but i i don't think that should be the case. Like, I don't mm-hmm. think just because you share his sexuality, you should have mm-hmm. been the only one to speak yeah. up. Agreed. Maybe um, just one more here. This is on Instagram. Go underscore Maddie underscore go. <laughs> this is... Um, Wait, I think... I think you know her. Yeah, I know her. Okay. She's one of my missionaries. Or no, 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 no. She, she served in the same mission as me. Oh, cool. Yeah. I like her. She... um. Engages with us, engages with us a lot on, yeah. on social media. So thank you if you're listening. Um, how can we stand up for our beliefs and not offend? Kind of a a bow on today's mm-hmm. very similar um, episode. And I I I just like was I was listening to what you were saying, but like also thinking about my answer. On this <laughs> one. But I think the answer is it's kind of like you can't. Like if you are defending our beliefs and defending truth, you are going to offend. Mm-hmm. I guess that's different than going about it in order to um, offend. Like those those things are different, and that's just a a looking inward and like um, I guess analyzing our motives for doing something. Mm-hmm. But you 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 will never you will always offend someone, no matter what you stand up for. Mm-hmm. So if that is like if that's our main goal is to not offend, um, there's going to be a lot of self censorship and a lot of, and and it leads to a lot of contradiction. Yeah, yeah, you'll end up crossing your own toes and spilling over. Right. Is that the phrase? Crossing your own feet? Cross whatever. You'll trip over yourself <laughs> if you if your goal is to not offend. You're going to get tripped up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and again, like we were talking about earlier, you can't be responsible for how people respond. Mm -hmm. Like your responsibility is for your own behavior. So if you kindly and gently and 
persuasively share your testimony with somebody and they respond poorly, that's not your, that's not on you. you that's not in your control. Mm-hmm. You did what was in your control. And maybe on a more practical note, just like how do you not offend people? People know you, right? Like if, I, I mean, I had another interesting interaction with somebody on social media. Uh, this was a couple years ago during 2020 with all the crazy stuff that was happening on social media that year. Um, and I posted something which I thought was very simple and basic. Again, basic teachings of the church. I was just quoting them. And somebody lashed out in the comments. And I privately messaged them. And I was like, hey, like, have we ever had an interaction where what you just said about me is true? Like, basically, like, when have I ever treated you poorly like you just implied in your comment? And they ended up, like rescinding or like going back on what they said they were like you know what you're right like I know you you're a good person like you wouldn't treat me this way and I'm like yeah because what you just said implied that I'm this like terrible person like you know me like I wouldn't do that to you and so it people know you so are you going to cause offense like yes it's inevitable but people that know you and have taken the time to get to know you will understand your genuineness and your authenticity and standing for truth. Yeah. It would almost be out of character not to. Um, I mean, that happened all the time in school. People would always look at me and expect me to comment on certain things. They're like, oh, Preston, Preston doesn't like swearing in the group. <laughs> and and not and like, in, I never said that to the friend group. I never said, guys, don't swear around me. They knew I didn't do that. So any, like... Again, sorry, I'm kind of rambling. If people <laughs> okay. know you, they know you. You don't have to like defend yourself mm-hmm. all the time. There's just kind of, there's kind of that veil of like that that separation of the virtual separation of being on social media, yeah. and it kind of where em- strangers people can, to yeah be offended be nasty or be, and it's like, yeah. but you don't know me. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, like my wedding post when I posted about my wedding and we had a few hecklers of yeah. people I didn't know and they were like, "This is terrible. It's never gonna work," and I just to one of them, I was like, frankly, you don't know me. Like, you can't say these things with any validity because you don't know me. Like, who are you? I don't even know who you are. um, So, uh, I mean, I guess I offended them initially, but it's like, I I don't know you. You don't know me. Like, how can we be so offended when we don't even know each other? Because it's a virtue. Being offended is a virtue. That's the lesson for today, if you have any takeaway. Yeah. (laughs) Um... I was going to mention this at the beginning, but I didn't. But if you've made it this far, um, that hopefully means that you like the podcast. Mm-hmm. And so if we could coerce you into going to Apple Podcasts and leaving a five-star review, that would help us a lot. Um, we, we've had a decent coalition of, of hecklers, I guess, that have found our podcast on on Apple Podcasts and have left some negative reviews. So if you like what we're doing and would like it to reach more people, if you could do us that favor, that would be very helpful. Thanks. And yeah, and continue to send us your questions. Um, We will try to answer as many as we can as we have time and we appreciate the interaction. And for you tuning in today, anything else? Seek the gift of discernment. Seek the gift of discernment. Be kind. Don't be nice. Be kind. Yeah. Don't be nice. That's the other message of today. We should make t-shirts. Don't be nice. I'm not nice. I'm kind. Or just 
don't be nice don't be nice and then it'll prompt like more of a discussion we'll, we'll work on that <laughs> <laughs> merchandise to be <laughs> we'll, released we'll get shortly the, the merch shop set up <laughs> 